0: Uh, Good morning, once again, everyone. Good morning again, everyone online. Uh, Today, we're going to step back a little bit. I want to look a little bit at some of these words from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, These words, a little bit of context, they were spoken to God's people after they had come back from about 70 years in slavery. And they were coming back, they were getting settled back in again, but they were falling into bad habits already. You would have thought that 70 years of punishment would have taught you a lesson, but human nature being what it is, we fall back into bad habits. Um, but the word, So these are the words that Isaiah's writing then to these people as they're coming back and rebuilding. Let's take a look at what it says. At chapter 65, verse 1. I was ready to be sought out by those who did not ask to be found by those who did not seek me. You know, when you first hear this, my, my first impression of these words was kind of like, this is what you would get, you know, if you had one of those, like, action movies, like in Indiana Jones, you know, and he'd been sitting there with his whip, fighting off the Nazis, and he climbed through the mountain and got past the booby traps, and there was the great guru sitting there, and he finally gets to him for the, the answer to the life, the universe, and everything, and the guru sits and goes, I was ready to be sought for one who did not seek and to be found by those who did not seek me. Um. And he'd be like, well, yes, I get that. But now that I'm here, can you tell me where the, where, where the magic skull is? I'm ready to be sought. Okay. When you you know, this isn't really that complicated in a sense. I know it has kind of that mystically kind of sound But this is God talking to his people. He's essentially saying to them, I've been here waiting for you with outstretched arms to help you and you weren't even interested. I was offering, you weren't even looking. Let's look some more at this again. uh, Starting at verse 2. I held out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continuously, sacrificing in gardens and offering incense on bricks, who sit inside tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh with broth of abominable things in their vessels. God's offering to his people, what? Peace. Harmony, protection. He's offering them everything they'd ever want, and they don't even want it. What do they do? They turn to other gods to fill their needs. And not only that, but they, they do things that flat out insult God, taunt him, deliberately doing things they're told not to do, eating a stew of abominable things. i not tell you what's in the abominable things, but if you go to Leviticus, you'll get a long list of them. Screech owls, for example. So some of these things are a little obscure, I'll admit. Some of the things God's upset about are a little obscure. What exactly is offering incense on bricks, and why is that a crime? Uh, I don't know. Is it maybe supposed to be like a brick altar to a foreign god? Um, you know, usually when I see people these days offering uh, incense. It's to pacify the gods of, my mom's coming quick. I don't want her to find out what we've really been burning in my room. Doesn't work, but they try it. Then, then you have, of course, this whole hanging out in tombs thing. That's really weird. Hanging out in tombs? Who does that? I mean, other than people in teen vampire shows. I mean, rem- I, do remember, I do remember in my high school that there was this, uh, always this sort of I would say urban legend, but the town wasn't that big. Um, But there was this sort of belief in town that there was this group of Satan worshipers. Everyone was convinced there were these Satan worshipers. And then every Halloween, they would go to the cemetery up on the hill. And in this cemetery, they were all like little things, but there was one mausoleum, one tall tomb. And supposedly, every Halloween, the Satan worshipers would come in and they would open the tomb and they would sacrifice cats to the devil. And, um, you know, did they really do it? I don't know. Or did occasionally a prankster decide that they were going to do, you know, paint something on it to make you think that the, the Satan worshipers were real? I don't know. I, I never quite figured it out. Um, maybe they were just trying to be shocking, contrary. You know, the ultimate rebellion was to go worship Satan. Um, But, you know, it sounds like whatever was going on in Isaiah's time, uh, even after 70 years of slavery, the people came back and they went right back into weird occult stuff. You know, when God was sitting right there saying, look, I brought you back, I gave you your land back, I gave you your home back. You get everything you ever need. You don't need to go spend the night with dead people. It, it always amazes me what people will turn to instead of turning to God. Uh, you, you hear all these people these days saying, oh, religion is weird, or religion is creepy, or, and then what do they do? They go out and they hang out in the tombs, paint their faces white, and listen to Pantera. Or they say, you know, religion is superstitious, and what do they do? And they go buy crystals and shake them to get the energies through. Or they'll say, you know, organized religion is dumb. They got all those empty rituals. So now before my baseball game, I'll go to my special locker, which is the same locker every time, and I will open it up and look at that same picture of Roger Clemens, and I will light three candles in his honor, and then I will put on my lucky socks all starting with the right and over the left and then I will take on my lucky glove and I'll oil my lucky glove with my lucky oil that this was the oil that was used by you know, uh, uh, Billy Bob McJohnson in 1975 and then I will put on my lucky hat in the lucky direction and I will do my lucky handshake and I will go outside and do the lucky ear movement. But organized religion is full of dumb, empty rituals that are superstitious. If you look at all these things, If you look at all these things, they only seem weird until you realize what the difference is. That God is coming and God is offering us everything and asking only, only for trust, only for faith, only that we be faithful to Him, that we be more giving and compassionate and ethical in our lives. God is sitting there saying, trust me. Trust me, I'll take care of this. And He opens His arms to everyone who will listen. But then along comes the priest of the tombs, or the crystal seller, or the incense dealer. And they say, hey, what are you doing trusting this God guy? Did he, did he actually do anything the last time you prayed? Did you get what you wanted? Did you do the Mark Twain test? You know Mark Twain, he puts an empty box under his bed and prays for money. And when there's no money in it, he goes, Ah, oh, that's proof God doesn't exist. Did you do that? Did it work? Did do you keep do you keep trusting and waiting? Is, is he coming? And then you start to go, "Oh man. That's true. Uh, well, I mean, it didn't get exactly what I wanted last time." And then you can see him going, and then they go, "Yeah, don't why, why listen to that Lord God stuff. Come here, take this crystal, light this incense, go to the tomb. Don't 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 give your, don't give God control of your life. You take control of your life." Get what you want. You see, that's what all these other things are about. They may seem really weird, but they don't demand faith. They don't demand a change to your lifestyle. They don't demand that you reflect on yourself. All they're doing is they're saying, you do X, Y, Z, and you'll get X, Y, Z. You can have it your way. Instead of putting God in control, you get to be in control and get more power. And when you think of it that way, you go, ah... That's what was happening. They weren't sure, sure, they were tired of waiting for God to give results. They thought maybe the empty tombs they'd get it. It's why it's always hard for the Lord God to compete with everything else with his people and why the people are always pulling away. And yet, God is still there, holding out his hands, right? Offering. The people may be turning away, but God is still there. Remember what he says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask, to be found by those who did not seek me. You know, I think we've all been at that place at one point or another. You know, it could be with your kids, could be with a good friend, could be with someone you love. Whatever it is, you're wanting to be open and they're not returning it. You're, wanting to be, you're opening your arms and they're turning to something else or someone else. But you love them so you don't quit and you don't give up. No matter how bad it is, it's loving when you're not being loved back. You know, when, you're, when your kid grows up and leaves the house, starts making bad choices, bad habits, bad drugs, bad company, you name it. And you love them, but they don't show it back. You know, because they don't want to be told what to do or you can't run my life and they're burning things a lot stronger than incense on their dining room tables but you still love them and you tell them again I'm here for you I'm ready you just need to come back and they don't seem to care But you keep waiting for that day when maybe, just maybe they'll see the light. When maybe they'll be tired of hanging out in back alleys and creepy apartments with with dangerous people burning weird things that only seem to lead to death. And when that time comes, you say, I'll be here for you. You'll be ready to be sought by those who are not asking, to be found by those who are not seeking, that's the sort of love everyone's gone through at some point. It's not returned, it's not thanked, it's not acknowledged. It might even be made fun of. Yeah, my mom thinks I'm gonna go home and get a job and work and make money. That's so lame. Yeah, cause you sitting in that rundown house. Yeah, that's, that's the lifestyle, man. But you know, it's not easy to love those who aren't wanting it from you or to care for those who don't want your help or to be available to people who aren't looking or who make fun of you. But that's what love is, isn't it? If you're only giving so that you can get something back, it's not love, it's a transaction. When you give it to someone who throws it back in your face, that's godly. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't ever get mad or enforce consequences. If you get to the end of that passage in Isaiah, for example, let's look at verse 7. Because they offered incense on the mountains and reviled me on the hills, I will measure into their laps full payment for their actions. So there's always the other shoe in the prophets, right? There will be consequences. God will not be mocked. God doesn't prevent us from the bad choices of our actions. So loving those who don't love back isn't about not setting boundaries or not enforcing consequences or not letting people live with their decisions. It just means that you will still be there with outstretched arms waiting for them to return when they finally see, when they finally seek out the relationship that leads to life, not a fix that gives a sense of control. So what do we do? We wait by our phones and we hold out our arms and we tell our loved ones who've fallen into the bad choices that we'll be here for you when you're ready and when you're willing to give up thinking that you can get out of this all by yourself and when you're willing to accept help and when you're willing to let go of the idea that you don't need everyone and that everyone around you just wants to control you and take away your fun and ruin your life and when you do that, I will be here for you ready to be sought, even if you do not ask. And and I will be there when you do not call my name. Amen.